Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We're back at it again with the emails. So we've had this one from Theodora Danik, who says she's just left London for the North. Yes. And it's great to go on long walks with Seriously coming out of her headphones, which sounds really idyllic. And she says she was wondering if we'd ever watched Grantchester, a weird recent obsession of mine, in case you haven't heard of it, it's all on ITV, and stars James Norton as a blindingly hot vicar with an expressive face. He solves crimes. It's also set in the 50s. Sounds twee and boring, but somehow it isn't. That's, I mean, a fairly good description of Grantchester, I think. I've never seen it, but any description of anything that suddenly goes, he solves crimes, <laughs> after some other tangential things, I'm totally here for it. It's very much in that mould of, like, any TV show where you've watched it and been like, wait, you're not the police. Why are the police letting you be at this crime scene? <laughs> like, in Silent Witness, when the pathologists are just, like, visiting, like, the relatives of the deceased, and you're like, you're not allowed to do that. Why are you doing that? Uh, <laughs> it's like that. He's the vicar, and weirdly, he's actually very much in the mould of the, like, female spinster busybody, and okay. he's, like, the single vicar in the town, except he's young and hot, and he just, like, gets overly involved in everyone's lives. We've also had quite a few people get in touch after we talked a bit about Hamilton last week, as social media suggests loads of you really really like it and you also responded to our call for help with understanding the adaptation in particular thanks very much to claire who got in touch to say that lin-manuel miranda was inspired by ron chernow's biography alexander hamilton which would be a good place to start if you wanted to go in depth i've also found that there's a whole active hamilton fandom on tumblr where lots of amateur historians have written up helpful background info so thank you very much to claire that's nice and then in response to your thing about saying that you're going to new york quite soon but you're not sure you're ever be able to yeah. see it because it's so busy Kristen got in touch to say I wanted to let you know that most of the Broadway shows in NYC offer ticket lotteries usually there's a set time on the day of the show where you need to show up and put your name in in my experience you don't have to wait around very long before you know if you've won I was able to see the Book of Mormon several years ago when it was extremely popular by winning the ticket lottery ah that's a really good shout I'll definitely give that a go because we're actually both going to New York in the next couple of months not together weirdly <laughs> though but, we should be although we should be I don't know why so yeah I think maybe we'll both have to give that a go and definitely. see if we can manage it yeah tell me how you fare but anyway thank you very much to everyone who sent us links about that we are still working on our hamilton interest and we'll report back so just in case there was any doubt about what the first thing we're going to talk about this week is we can tell you it is 
Lemonade. Lemonade is a 12-track visual album from the queen of music, art, and life, Beyoncé. It incorporates film, music, and spoken word to create a layered portrait of black female identity. It's one of those things where it's like, where were you when Lemonade dropped? I had no idea that it was going to be an album. I woke up on Sunday morning sort of scrolling through my Instagram feed, and I was looking at all these pictures that Amanda Stenberg had posted, and I was like, these look really atmospheric and cool, and then I was like, oh my god, this is from a Beyonce album? What? <laughs> what? And had to go and like watch it immediately. And I, it changed me. I don't know about you, but I was just like, wow, this is just one of the best things I've ever seen in it's my life. It's completely stunning. I first similarly woke up on Sunday morning, scrolled through Twitter, and was like, why is everyone using the lemon emoji? What is happening? Is today lemon day? And I was like, in a sense, yes, today is lemon day. Um, but not in the way I somehow thought it was to do with fruit. Yeah, it is extraordinary. And I, I haven't stopped thinking about it. Not least because of all of the stuff that's been talked about since about, is it about Jay-Z cheating on her? Mm. Is it not? What, you know, are all the lyrics about you know, Becky with the good hair and stuff yeah, yeah. refer to infidelity? What is it? Or is this another like Sasha Fierce style character mm-hmm. that she's adopting in maybe in a slightly more nuanced way? Or is this direct personal experience? I'm swinging to and fro on this. I don't know a what I think and be if I mind. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the best things about this is sometimes when people release really, really good, you know, works of art, the first thing you want to think is like, oh my God, like, what, where has this come from? Like, what personal experience has it come mm. from? And I think the best works of art make you just think like, do I care either way? Like, yeah. either way, it's so brilliant that it doesn't really make a difference to how I feel about it. And I think the great thing about what she's done with this is, yes, it does get everyone talking and they are a bit like, oh my God, did Jay-Z cheat on Beyonce? Because we've got this whole album about basically the experience of being cheated on. So we start with suspicion and intuition and we go on through anger and apathy to forgiveness and redemption and so you get this really sort of detailed exploration of those feelings but maybe they're symbolic and they stand for you know other sort of ways that you can be wronged by people and I think that's what a lot of black women have been saying that it like relates to their experiences of being like sinned against by the world at large as it were and like how you can get over those kind of oppressions but I remember like looking through my timeline when when it came out like all these like oh I think we can all agree that like jay-z's not been a good boy or like (laughs) wow this album is so personal i feel like a voyeur and i was like really from from beyonce because throughout the rest of her career i think although everyone's been so interested in her personal life we never really get much of it like beyonce 2013 it's a really interesting album and there's definitely lots like about her daughter in there there's lots of little hints about like blue but apart from that you don't really feel like you know much about her as a person no she i think almost more than any celebrity has successfully perfected the art of the kind of arm's length access yeah in that you feel like you get something of her so i do for instance know what her daughter looks like Mm -hmm. but i don't know anything else about her daughter yeah and she's not one of these celebrities who has like a really prominent social media Mm. presence and gives you lots of little sort of curated insights into her life either you see her constantly she's everywhere and yet she's like nowhere at the same time So I was surprised by those comments. And then when I watched the visual album, I was just like, oh my God, this is 
crazy it feels so personal and mm. so raw in that way but maybe that's another game she's playing with us who knows really yeah and there's also so many different modes in the same i mean it's just over an hour the the kind of film of it from right at the beginning where she's kind of completely triumphant in this amazing yellow dress smashing mm. stuff with a baseball bat um which <laughs> it's is like a gleeful anger it's just so brilliant isn't it's it? so brilliant it's so fantastic Something don't feel right because it ain't right, especially coming up after midnight. I smell your secrets, and I'm not too perfect to ever feel this worthless. How did it come down to this? Scrolling through your call list. I don't want to lose my pride, but I'm going to fuck me up a bitch. Know that I kept it sexy, and know I kept it fun. There's something that I'm missing, maybe my head for one. What's worst? Looking jealous or crazy, jealous or crazy. Or like being walked all over lately, walked all over lately, I'd rather be crazy. Hold up, they don't love you like I love you. Slow down, they don't love you like I love you. Back up, they don't love you. And then later on, she looks almost like physically smaller, but it's all part of the same narrative, like it moves from one to the other, with these spoken word segments mm-hmm. that I think are my favourite bits about it. And there are some great songs on the album that I'm definitely going to listen to over and over again. But these spoken word segments are beautiful. I found that amazing as well. So these mostly are lifted from Warsan Shire poems, and she's like a London-based Somali heritage poet. And... They're really, really intense, aren't they? They'll they'll have lines in them like, if you really want, I'll wear her skin over mine. I'll wear her hands as gloves. Yeah, her teeth as confetti. And Beyonce, obviously, because she's so brilliant with her voice, the way she, like, handles words is Mm. amazing. So she'll, like, really spit the word teeth and you'll be like, oh, this is so intense. But they're really good, I think, at taking this very specific scenario that we're being presented chronologically of, like, woman suspects husband discovers he's cheating on her eventually forgives him we've got that very specific narrative these spoken word bits really lift it out of that specificity and like bring it into a much more like thematic Mm -hmm. and symbolic realm there's a lot of stuff in the spoken word segments about like heritage and like tradition and stuff that's happened to your mother and father and how you can like inherit all those kinds of like emotional issues yeah family in the sense beyond just a couple is also Mm. quite a big theme like um later on in the Beyonce does country song Daddy Lessons is all about that as well isn't it relationship between parents and then relationship between daughter and parents definitely and there's like a thread in those spoken word bits which keeps coming round full Mm. circle shall we talk a bit about our personal favourites yeah so what did you like best on the album I still really like Formation oh yeah absolutely good choice that's the final song on the album obviously we have heard it before because of all its Black Lives Matter imagery it prompted some pop culture reactions at the time like that SNL sketch about how white people (laughs) discovering Beyonce is black so I suppose I hadn't really listened to Formation as a song again that recently and it's a really good song so that I think for me in a strong field comes out top I think one of the things I like so much about this album is that you do kind of have to listen to it like as a journey I know Mm. that word is so annoying but I love Hold Up which Mm. is the baseball bat sunny angry song and I also really love Freedom Mm. which I actually think I prefer the film version of because although this is a visual album the album that you would like go and buy on iTunes is slightly different because it doesn't have those spoken word interludes like there's a guest verse from Kendrick Lamar on the album that's not in the video and I think I love the video version of Freedom because you get Beyonce acapella for like the whole first verse and then suddenly all the rest of the music like comes in behind her and she's like 
tied to this sort of pole in front of an audience, sort of a cross between like Jesus on the cross and like a black person about to be hung. This really like powerful image and then suddenly all this music comes up and I think that is like one of the best bits on the whole album for me. And I also really love All Night, which is sort of the the last song on the visual album and then Formation plays over the credits after Mm. that. But it's sort of like the end to the visual album. And when I listened to that, I was like, oh my God, Beyonce is like Jesus. She's like spiritual and it's because it's all about forgiveness, but as the one giving the forgiveness and it feels really sort of like uplifting and weirdly like emotional it makes me cry i love it i read a really interesting piece on the guardian contrasting hillary clinton in you know the late 90s mm. and beyonce now that's a stretch which is a, the, which is a stretch yeah which is a stretch in some senses but they are both married to men in the public eye with a massive sort of professional Mm. reputation and for a while were kind of second string to that. The author was kind of saying that this is a way of processing a transition of power within a relationship. I feel like empowerment is such a slippery thing Mm. and I think it's an overused word but I found Lemonade to be so empowering and I think it's specifically because the way that she's done this transition and she really shows all the emotions through it and you really get this like absolute peak of her anger before we get anywhere near acceptance Mm -hmm. and forgiveness there's like a way of accepting love and like being a loving forgiving person that's still grounded in self-love and self-respect so you can have an album where she's like literally saying you try this again you lose your wife you know i give you life Mm. and that which is just like an amazing thing to say i give you life you know and she says that a few times and then to go on from that and be like yes and i can forgive you and i can it's it's so not victim like at all Mm. it's like the opposite of that and i think that's perhaps the most amazing thing about this album in taking that very like victim correlated narrative of being cheated on and like turning it around and making it something different there's no way you could watch or listen to this and think beyonce lacks agency Mm. (laughs) in the situation right absolutely which is is the part that's really exhilarating that whatever's happened to her she's making things she's doing things and she's talking about it So now we're going to talk about something a little different. <laughs> Bake Off Creme de la Creme is a BBC Two spin-off from The Great British Bake Off, which we have talked about on the podcast before, and I sort of assume all listeners are familiar vaguely with what it's about. This one is presented by the chef Tom Kerridge and features teams of high-class patisserie chefs competing to make incredibly elaborate desserts under time pressure in the hall of a stately home. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a very accurate description. It is ridiculous looking desserts in a ridiculous looking place with ridiculous time pressures. They face gruelling challenges. Just be careful. No, this is really hot in the mouth stuff. And the toughest of judges. It's meaningless to me. I cannot really mark that. I'm ready to cry. 
who will take their place in the semi-final and prove to be the creme de la creme. Because you can't help thinking that maybe the chefs would fare better in trying to make these absurd things if they could do it in a real kitchen yeah, with real stuff <laughs> instead of... Because I suppose it is a feature of, I guess we must call it the Bake Off franchise, that, you know, in the amateur one, they do it in a tent mm-hmm. in the garden. Mm-hmm. Obviously with real ovens and fridges and stuff, but, you know... But they're in a marquee. They're in a marquee. And there have been episodes where, like, people's ice cream cakes have just melted because it's summer. And now what they've done is install temporary professional kitchens in the, the hall of a massive stately home i think also like as the desserts get more elaborate and large scale so too does the competition and i find the structure of creme de la creme like much harder to comprehend because it's not like the bake-off where you have like nine people and then once a week you lose someone like the competitive hierarchy is like a lot more complicated. It's a lot more like university challenge, if anyone is as interested in that as I am. <laughs> Bake off meets university challenge. No, it challenge. is, because in the sense that at the beginning of university challenge, there are dozens of teams. Mm. And so you might see a team like in the first week and then not see them again for like three months because they got through whatever that was. And then they had to play the whole rest of the round to find out who else is in it. And it's kind of a bit like that, isn't it? That yeah. like, you see a team in the first one and then there's like, high scoring runners up and exactly things, yeah. it's really complicated and like the individual scoring is even more complicated so each oh God, judge like they just say numbers they're just saying numbers <laughs> every round they'll do like three different things mm. and then they'll mark them on each of those out of 10 each a judge so it, like each dessert will get a possible 30 out of 30 which means they get a maximum of 90 points or something but then like Depends if they're doing like a big showstopper instead of three other things, and like it gets so complicated it's so, complicated. so quickly. So yeah, the the bit at the end where they obviously try and do the big tense build up to see who's going to get what score, <laughs> and you can see all the contestants are doing like furious mental, mental arithmetic. <laughs> Um, it does feel a little bit like number wang from that mention of yeah, web. you know when they're just being like 17 that's number one yeah does it, like, and you score 92 it's so- and then there's like a, a lull where everyone's like is that, is that good or bad, good or bad yeah. don't know <laughs> um, but to be fair all of this just adds to its slightly weird charm i think so what do you think of tom kerridge as a presenter because i mean he's not mel and sue crucially i don't like to unnecessarily comment on people's appearances but Tom Kerridge used to be a lot fatter. Yeah. And I liked him like that. <laughs> yeah, I think I read an article about it, though, that it was very important for his health that he lose oh, a lot of weight, though. Like, he he would... looks a bit like a balloon that's, like, been popped for air. <laughs> and he's like, I loved him when he was just, like, all cheerful Tom Kerridge looking. And now he looks, like, a bit more serious. and a yeah. bit. But, yeah, he's good. But the Tom Kerridge brand is like, I'm just a rough and ready guy making a pie. You know, quality British food yeah. for like normal British folk, and then like, surprisingly delicious because I'm a Michelin-starred chef, but also I'm just a bloke with a pub. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then to see him on this like delicate French patissiere yeah. context is a bit like. I mean, it's good because you want someone to contrast the three judges a bit, who are all experts and really which is obviously what stuff. Mel and yeah. Sue do in the the original Bake Off, but he just doesn't quite fit. Yeah. And like, sometimes he'll be like asking them questions and it's good to have someone who's like, what's that ingredient that you've just said? Cause no one knows what that is. Like, that's obviously good. Mm-hmm. But like, I think, I feel like he just bothers them a bit. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> Cause you can tell he, cause it's, you know, he's not a pastry chef, but he is a chef. Mm. So you can tell, like, he's at least partly, I can make an intelligent, useful comment here. But also his role is, as you say, to stand in for the viewer and be like, 
what's gelatin though mm. and i feel like he's not quite striking the balance between those two things no and I, sometimes he like gets right in there and he's like oh what are you doing over here and they'll be like oh my god do not breathe like, <laughs> this is very very intense i'm, I'm painting stuff. a cake with a soluble powder what do you think i'm doing <laughs> yeah but i feel like it's tom and the three judges who you really get to know in this mm. series because you yeah, just don't the, get to know the contestants they're not all. constant enough are they they mm. go which is a shame because, yeah, as most of our joy in various series of the Bake Off is the ongoing and developing characters, yeah. isn't it? Like the week fact to that week. you can be like, that is classic to moral behaviour. Yes, or Norman. <laughs> I bloody love, love Norman. Norman. You know what I mean? Yeah, I miss Norman. I could, you could do with a few Normans on the creme de la creme. Yes, exactly. People who, instead of making like umpteen layers of special mousses, would <laughs> just, just be like... a biscuit. I made a biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with my biscuit? <laughs> yeah. So what do you think of the judges? I really like Cherish. She is, I think, a pastry chef herself. Mm. A very, very experienced one for lots and lots of fancy hotels and She stuff. looks a bit like Edna Mode. Yes, she does. From The Incredibles. And she's just very, very blunt and very like, mm, I didn't really like it. Yeah. She says quite a lot. <laughs> or it just doesn't work. She also, at one point in an episode I watched, got a ruler out, measured several <laughs> cakes and was like, you've got a difference of 0.4 of a centimetre between these cakes. That's unacceptable. I would accept 0.1, but no more. <laughs> <laughs> I know. She's really, really, really picky. And I like her a lot because sometimes she'll say things like, the colours don't sing to me. And you'll be like, <laughs> okay, well, we'll just accept that. Like At times she'll be very vague and like arbitrary and subjective with her criticisms. And other times it will be like, I've got my like magnifying glass out and I can see a tiny lump of gelatin here. Yellow card. <laughs> I don't get the yellow card thing either. Yeah, I don't know they, can give, they can give yellow cards for some puddings. I don't know. <laughs> this is an unsafe pudding. Yellow card. Get off the pitch. Exactly. It's I very weird. It's r- really weird. Definitely the format of the show is not ideal. Mm. But I'm still really enjoying watching people stress out about making ludicrously complicated tiny cakes yeah and they do look amazing have you had any like favorite patisserie puddingy things that you've i was pretty excited i think it was in episode two the bonsai trees out of chocolate wow that was so exciting amazing i so far liked it when they made a giant swan out of sugar that was good but it collapsed (laughs) it collapsed mid-judging oh yeah and they all leapt back as if it was gonna fall on them (laughs) and then the judges were like we'll just like we won't downgrade you on that we'll pretend that didn't happen and i was like what wait what like yeah their display pudding wouldn't have lasted the party that's definitely (laughs) you should definitely knock that down some of the flavors are weird as well Mm. like they keep talking about classic flavor combinations and i'm like is that classic like they'll be like ah strawberry and balsamic a classic flavor combination or like ah tonka bean and (laughs) in yuzu yeah exactly the fuck is yuzu i don't know they're like such weird ingredients and yet they act as though they're like the staples of patisserie cooking and maybe they are maybe they are i know but we don't do patisserie very occasionally we eat it (laughs) (laughs) what is a tonka bean i'm dying to know (laughs) but it is a joyful program yeah, definitely. You cannot get away from that. I am intrigued to know whether they're going to franchise this one abroad in the way they have with, with the Bake Off. With the main Bake Off. We had a great piece, didn't we, on like all the different international versions yes. of the Bake Off. And how, how weird it is that like in America, for instance, you win money if you win the Bake Off. Yeah. Whereas in Britain, obviously, you just win like a nice, right. a- a nice apron and the pride of being a winner. <laughs> Beco- becoming a national treasure of Britain. Yes. <laughs> like oh, Nadia. Incidentally, have you seen? They've announced what her first TV show is going to be called. Oh, the Chronicles of Nadia. Oh, that is so good. So she gets her own TV show. Yeah, no one's she... had that before, have they? I don't think so, no. Oh, that's really exciting. Yeah. Nation's sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. <laughs> 
As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Last week, I recommended that Caroline watch Zodiac, a 2007 film by David Fincher, exploring the real investigation into the notorious serial killer who called himself the Zodiac. It's based on the book of the same name by Robert Graysmith, a newspaper cartoonist here played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Dear editor, this is the murderer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman and the girl on the 4th of July. I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper. He wants his code in the afternoon edition. Ray Smith, don't you have a cartoon to finish? The Zodiac Killer has come to San Francisco. Another letter. School children make nice targets. He gave himself a name. Greek, Morse code, astrological signs. This guy's used them all. I like killing people because man is the most dangerous animal of all. How does one do that? 
I like puzzles. I do them a lot. And he basically gets all caught up in the investigation, doesn't he, Caroline? Yeah, he does. So he is the main protagonist, right? Mm -hmm. In that there are other important characters, another journalist played by Robert Downey Jr., who's like a crime reporter at the same newspaper. Mark Ruffalo plays the main detective. We love Mark Ruffalo as a newspaper, not newspaper, but as a a general crime investigating. Yeah, I think as you said last week when you were introducing this, there are strong parallels with Spotlight. Yeah, I felt nobody really said that when Spotlight came out there, but when I watched it, I was like, oh, this reminds me so much of Zodiac. Obviously, they are quite different films in that this is really like thriller. Yeah, it's a thriller, but I totally got what you meant when we talked about Spotlight, about how immersed in the dated world of it Mm. it feels, but they are similarly complete in their realisation of the period and also feature Mark Ruffalo investigating (laughs) something. (laughs) So maybe this is his like best acting mode. I think it might be. I really enjoyed him in this anyway. But yeah, the Jake Gyllenhaal character is the main one, Mm -hmm. even though he is for much of it sort of on the fringes of the investigation because he's a cartoonist at the paper. He's not one of the reporters. He's not like in all the meetings with the police. It's only at the end, once Robert Downey Jr.'s character, the reporter, has kind of burned out and gone to live on a boat and drink himself to death, that he picks up the mantle of trying to investigate this case and actually find out what happened and he writes a book which this film is based on. Yeah. I had heard of the Zodiac Killer through people saying that it was Ted Cruz. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny to me. I did not know what it was other than a kind of historic serial killer thing in America yeah, some it, time it, ago. I think the the window into the sort of obsession angle of this film comes in when Robert Graysmith ends up in a sort of meeting about the Zodiac Killer and there's this piece of code and that's what I think captured most people's interest in the Zodiac case is that he basically writes this piece of like code or like secret language detailing an element of the, what is it? is it an element of the crime or just like it's like a message so he after every murder he leaves he, he sends this picture cipher to different newspapers with a demand that they print it and when they decipher it it's always like a new threat targeting school children is yeah. fun or something horrible like that the, the way Robert Graysmith sort of gets involved is that he loves doing puzzles and when he yeah. sees this sort of puzzle as it were in the in the meeting he like copies it down and becomes really really obsessed with trying to figure it out and it's sort of that meeting point of already interesting unsolved crime and weird puzzle weird <laughs> that puzzle, I think captured yeah. a lot of uh, imaginations at the time and also I think the sort of randomness of it mm. in that they do latterly try and piece together some connections between their main suspect and the people who were murdered but until they get to that point it just seems totally random yeah. the actual people who get murdered or in some cases really badly injured they just seem to be in the right place it's more like the time and the place is what's important to the murderer not the person or um, the type of person exactly and it's weirdly motiveless yeah so, so it's not all women it's not all black people it's not mm. all anybody it, it's not all people of a particular profession they happen all over California it's not even people from the same town yeah. it's just random and I think that's possibly what got the kind of public hysteria going is that if there is just some nutter going around randomly stabbing people in the street of course you're going to be terrified of course you're going to be terrified whereas at least you can be like oh this is someone who attacks children I'm not a child therefore I am less worried about this Mm -hmm. yeah so in the film some of the portrayals of the actual murders are quite scary I found them really quite horrifying yeah definitely but that I think is partly what lifts the film beyond the realms of being a kind of crime procedural film Mm -hmm. and that it becomes a proper thriller Mm -hmm. because it's properly cinematic in the way like right at the very beginning for instance when you see two people who you're pretty sure are victims in a car Mm. and they've like gone to a sort of remote makeout place and then this car comes up behind them and you just see the lights and then it goes away again and then it comes back again and then someone gets out and comes around the side of the car and just starts shooting them that is really horrifying 
why. It stops it from being, like you say, just about the sort of investigation side of things because the, that threat is very real the entire time because, mm. like, he could be anyone and he does seem to be doing stuff at random. So I think you feel really pulled through the plot of this film. But it is ultimately the obsessive nature of the various characters involved, mm-hmm. I think, that keep you watching it. We had an email from a listener in advance of us discussing Zodiac, actually, which... Very on it. Very, very on it. Very organised, Melissa. Thank you very much. The email subject is just, yay, you picked Zodiac, exclamation mark, so clearly a fan of the film. But she makes a really interesting point, which is, she said, I think what pushes Zodiac above other typical serial killer films is how, rather than focusing on trying to catch the killer, although there is plenty of that, Zodiac is more interested in examining the theme of obsession, whether it's Mark Ruffalo's obsession as an officer trying to catch the bad guy, Robert Downey Jr.'s obsession as a reporter trying to break a good story, or Jake Gyllenhaal's obsession with just wanting to know who Zodiac is. If Zodiac could be defined by one scene, it would be the scene where Jake Gyllenhaal learns that the Zodiac killer has been taking credit for crimes he didn't commit. The realisation that Zodiac is not who he thought. Robert Downey Jr. notes, you almost look disappointed. Yeah, exactly. Which is really, really interesting, because there is some of that, I think, in the latter part of the film, when Jake Gyllenhaal's character goes from being this slightly naive passenger in the whole thing. The joke is that everyone calls him Boy Scout, you know, because he's so, like, clean living and boring. And <laughs> just wants and he's to like Eagle Scout, actually. <laughs> and just wants to help people, you know. When he goes from that into becoming a proper obsessive with the case and starts yeah. properly reporting it and really putting himself and his family in considerable danger to do so. And, like, his wife leaves him and takes their kids and, like, his life kind of goes to shit a bit through his own actions. And that's when you realise that, obviously, he's not a serial killer. He's not done anything as bad. But the person who committed these crimes is affecting him. Like, mm. He's so obsessed with finding out who it is that he's willing to put all these other things on hold or even sacrifice them for it. Yeah, I think that, that Robert Downey Jr. line is really interesting about, oh, you almost look disappointed. And this is something that I feel like I think about so much at the moment. At the moment, When we did Making of a Murderer yes. on the podcast, I wrote a piece about that afterwards, about how people become so obsessed with like proving a specific narrative right mm. rather than like the general sort of broader questions of like you know police conduct and these kinds of things which are probably the real issues of making a murder instead everyone's like did he do it or not did did he do it or not well or like he was framed in this specific way they did this with the blood or what about the payphone at the best buy you know these kinds of things and i've been watching the uh, people versus oj simpson american crime story in that it's very much you know you see the joy on the defense's face when they get oj off and even though you know that some of them have their doubts about whether yeah. he actually is innocent or not and this idea that you know the the thing that's really important is the story which is what so many people feel in this in different ways is so interesting to me and often seems to be like what clouds some of the real issues at the heart of like true crime stories yeah exactly and that definitely happens with the zodiac story as well because they eventually partly through the robert graysmith character's efforts they get to the point where they've got a main suspect and enough evidence to get a proper warrant and all of this kind of stuff. Mm. And then the guy has a fatal heart attack before they can interview him again. Mm. So even if that was him, there's no way of ever knowing. So the story doesn't have an ending. Yeah, exactly. And that's really unsatisfying yeah. in a lot of ways. Wouldn't it be a lot more fun if, for example, presidential candidate Ted Cruz was the same killer? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there is, yeah, obviously that is always a joke, but there is something about these cases where the detail can become so thrilling that people really want to have that pieced together exact narrative of what actually happened and to an extent that's always going to be futile yeah so depressing (laughs) yeah kind of is depressing um anyway for next week i'm going to recommend you something that i find really joyful well we need some joy which is a tv series from quite a long time ago now the west wing oh i've heard a lot about the west wing obviously 
though I have never even watched a minute of it. Now, I'm a bit older than you. The West Wing was a massive deal when I was at university. Mm. I think it's pr- it had probably passed over. The period that it came out was right at the end of the Clinton era and then during the George W. Bush era. There were mm. seven years, seven series. I watched it at the end of the Bush era running into Obama. Mm. So even people who had no kind of academic or professional interest in American politics were experts on American politics <laughs> at that time. So it kind of followed that your pop culture should reflect that. Mm. I'm going to recommend you the very first episode Wicked of the West Wing and to accompany it the West Wing Weekly which is a new podcast that's just started which is a new podcast which has just started that tracks each episode they watch an episode a week and then they talk about it in lots of detail one of the guys who does it is a cast member from the West Wing although he's he's not in (laughs) it he's not in it until season four so you won't actually see him (laughs) for ages but he's also just clearly he's just like nobly like "Hmm, don't remember any of this but he's the biggest fan oh that's he's friends with Aaron Sorkin and and had been for a long time before Aaron Sorkin started making the West Wing so he was involved in the personal life of the screenwriter and then he was in the show later on Mm -hmm. they recap and they discuss and they have various guests on other cast members and stuff the perfect Um, companion it's a great companion so I think if yeah if you are watching it sort of out of context years later that's a good way to do it oh I'll enjoy that thank you Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Seriously. All you have to do is search SRSLY in iTunes or any other podcasting app you use. While you're there, it would be really great if you could leave us an iTunes review as it helps other people find the show. We also rely on you listeners for your recommendations. So if you want to tell us what you thought about something or if you've got something we should watch, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, via email. All the details are on seriouslypodcast.com. If you like, you can also recommend us to your friends, family, neighbours, strangers. Let them know that you like the podcast and that they should be listening to it too. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com listen.